Imagine you were on a beach and you had an option to buy a beer. You could buy that beer from like rundown shop down the street, or you could you know buy that beer at a fancy five-star hotel, but you couldn't drink it there. You're bringing it on the beach either way. People were willing to pay way higher prices if they thought that beer was coming from the hotel than if they thought the beer was coming from local shops that sort of run down and, and not a great experience. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaStock, the global conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, which returns to Dublin October the 15th to 17th, 2018. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and on this show, I speak with leading SaaS entrepreneurs and investors across the world to bring you their insights and tactics. My guest this week is Kyle Poyer, Senior Director of Market Strategy at OpenView, one of many speakers we'll welcome to SaaStock 18. Kyle talks to me from Boston has seen the city grow into a natural rival to Silicon Valley for SaaS. The city, like many others around the world, has become a hotspot for SaaS. In the next year, we'll visit some of them, bringing SaaS stock on tour. Starting with London on March the 21st, where we'll gather 300 SaaS founders, their executive teams and local VCs. In an epic day of content, learning and networking, we'll host amazing speakers such as Peter Bauer, who to this date is the only UK headquartered SaaS to IPO with Mimecast. Peter Holton-Mulman, CEO of one of Europe's greatest scale-ups, Trustpilot, and Des Trainer, co-founder of Intercom, who needs no introduction. To see full agenda and grab yourself a ticket, head over to sasdoc.com forward slash on tour forward slash city forward slash London. That's a lot of forward slashes. For a special 20% discount for podcast listeners, use code SASREVOLUTION. That is S-A-A-S-R-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N, SASREVOLUTION. Back to my guest, Carl Poyer who's a self-professed pricing and growth nerd. He helps OpenView's portfolio companies accelerate top-line growth through deep insights into their market landscape and customers. Through his experience, Carl has accumulated great knowledge and in our conversation borrows examples from behavioral psychology that spans Netflix uh, and SaaS companies to buying beer on the beach and selecting jam in the supermarket to make his point. Listen on to learn how to be more data-driven in your pricing decisions. First step is assigning a function or a person to be responsible and accountable. How to have better pricing conversations with customers. There's, uh, there's no such thing as pricing interviews from the buyer's perspective, so the customer shouldn't know that it's a conversation about pricing. Key questions within that conversation that I like to ask, what's the ROI you're seeing from the solution? What are the signs it's time for a price increase? If prospects don't push back on your pricing at all, if no one's ever just counting, that's probably a, a flag for you. Before we get to my conversation with Kyle, a quick reminder to drop a review for the SaaS Revolution show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Helps other founders and execs find the show and learn from our guests. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Kyle Poyer, Senior Director of Strategy at OpenView. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to have you on the, uh, uh, on the show today. And uh, another Bostonian, I think we've had Fred Schilmover from Insight Squared and Matthew Bellows uh, uh, recently. And um, so I think you're the, maybe the third uh, Bostonian in a row. It's something between SaaStock and Boston, I think. A love, love affair. Well, that's great. It's uh, 
Yeah, we have a nice uh, growing SaaS community out here in Boston. And, you know, we, we like to think that we're, you know, competitive against San Francisco in terms of the, the talent and the, the companies and the skills around SaaS. So it's always exciting to uh, see the community grow here. Awesome. Um, so, so Kyle, um, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, who, who is Kyle Poyer? Yeah, so I mean, at a high level, I'm a growth and pricing nerd. Uh, so I've worked with uh, dozens and dozens of companies around how do they capture more value from their products. And I'm really passionate about the power of pricing and packaging towards building large and enduring businesses. And I've seen you know, a lot of businesses that fail because they're, they're not really deep in thinking about how they make money um, in a sustainable way. So uh, passionate about pricing and helping companies grow. Uh, in my current role at, uh, at OpenView, I partner closely with our portfolio companies, which are all B2B SaaS companies at the expansion stage, companies like User Testing, Expensify, Lessonly. Uh, and I, I partner with uh, those companies on growth initiatives. And previously, I was a consultant at a firm called Simon Kucher. It's got a low profile. It's a German firm, but it actually has over 1,000 employees. Uh, around the world, focusing on pricing and the impact that the firm has on the prices that people pay is really staggering. I mean, we priced everything from diapers to caskets while I was there. Uh, truly cradle the grave. Awesome. So, uh, thanks for the background there. So, you're you're a growth and uh, and pricing nerd, and obviously, we've you know read some of your uh, your content uh, online, which we can link to sort of recent pieces about. Um, uh, one was the the, the, the Netflix uh, uh, sort of pricing piece, and uh, I think you you've even got a book out about pricing. Is that right, or an ebook for sure? Yes, uh, we wrote mastering SaaS pricing. Although the feedback that I get about it is, you know, why would you write about mastering SaaS pricing? Like, we just want to get to like level one or level two <laughs> on pricing. We want to not suck about price at that pricing. Uh, but uh, it, it's about how do uh, approach pricing from from early stage, uh, kind of from that seed stage all the way to IPO. Okay, very cool. Um, uh, and actually, where where can people find that book? They can uh, find that uh, at OpenView Labs, just labs.openviewpartners.com. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll link to that also in the um, uh, in the show notes. So, um, given your expertise, your background in pricing, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're happy to uh, go a little bit deeper into some pricing questions today. Totally. All right, let's let's do it. So, um, you you know you mentioned uh, you you know well obviously working with like a, a ton of B two B SaaS companies and you know seeing some of the mistakes that they make in uh, in pricing and I, I think uh, uh, a lot of companies are you know are making uh, mistakes and it, it, it's an area that really needs addressing uh, uh, and I think if you you go to events and you spoke at an event sort of recently. Um, the, these are some of the, the, I think, the most well-attended sessions that people really want to know, like how we can, uh, you know, Im- improve pricing. But so the, the, the failings, you know, what are the biggest hurdles and sort of failings that you've seen SaaS companies make when it comes to pricing? And, you know, and, and what advice do you give to them? Yeah, totally. So the number one hurdle, and, you know, there's a lot of advice about this uh, out there, but it, it happens time and again, is that companies are are too cheap. They they undervalue what they've built. I mean, and it's natural how this happens. In, in many cases, SaaS founders are product people. They really don't want to put any barriers in front of people using the product. But the real truth is that B2B buyers aren't that price sensitive. 
and you can use that SSS company to your advantage. Uh, and the other thing is that pricing power is a big indicator of product market fit. That the only reason you're winning deals is because you're really cheap. You probably haven't found product market fit, but you know that you've nailed it when you can raise prices or charge a premium and buyers are still happy to pay that because they really see the value in the ROI you're bringing. Uh, so that's number one. The number two, um, and I think they go hand in hand, is that companies don't take a data-driven approach to pricing. So you know, what if your head of marketing said that they allocated their marketing spend based on gut feel? Like, what if your product team built the roadmap based on just what they thought was, was ideal or what the competitors were doing? Well, you probably fire them. But, but pricing, where it's uh, so fundamental to how companies make money, uh, that's how companies typically approach pricing. It's not data-driven. It's based on gut feel or what the competitors are doing. Um, and so, and that, that I think also leads companies to undervalue what they have built because they haven't collected data or run tests that give them the confidence to change what they're doing. What's, um, what percentage of companies, uh, sort of roughly that, that you work with, uh, uh, have you seen use a kind of data driven, uh, approach, uh, assuming it's quite low? It's quite low. Uh, so we actually surveyed, uh, it's now over 1500 companies. Around all B2B SaaS companies around how they've approached pricing. And we asked, uh, one of the questions was, have you done uh, any research on pricing? Where you're like, you've talked to your customers about pricing. And we found only 8% said that they did in-depth pricing research. I think uh, more than half said that they haven't done any research at all around pricing. Uh, and so the rest did some, some cursory research, like maybe asked a pricing question or two and in some of their uh, their surveys or their interviews, but it's very it's a very small percentage of companies that have uh, really taken it seriously. And I think Patrick Campbell, um, who you know well, says that people spend about I think companies spend eight hours um, in their entire existence thinking about pricing. And uh, another Bostonian, yeah, I think. Uh, uh, well, he he spoke at Sasdoc uh, last year, and uh, yeah, he mentioned that uh, companies spend more time. You know, thinking about office furniture, then uh, you know, on, on pricing, <laughs> so it's uh, uh, pretty, uh, pretty scary thoughts. Um, uh, so there's more work to be done by the likes of Patrick and yourself uh, there in the education piece. Uh, certainly, it seems right. Um, yep. but, uh, and so, what what are the impacts? Uh, I guess when when you've seen like when you work with companies about like you know in- increasing uh, you know pricing, um, I think you mentioned obviously there's that the, that Netflix story of you know. Uh, I guess from a B2C sort of perspective uh, and the impact that it had uh, to Netflix and just raising from, what, what was it, $7.99 to $10.99. Uh, dollars. Um, but with some of the companies that, that you've worked with, with this, um, you, you know, ha- have you seen sort of like real dramatic impacts in, in revenue from taking them from a certain ARR, you, you know, to another multiple? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's interesting that uh, Netflix gets a lot of flack for some of the pricing changes that happen you know, in the past, but more recently, pricing has been a huge growth driver for the business and for their profitability. So um, it's uh, it's interesting that, that that success stories get overlooked and it's the failures that stand out in people's minds. I would say what's, what would surprise people is, is really the level of impact that B2B SaaS companies have when they optimize their pricing. They don't normally talk about that. It's not something that they... That they uh, beat their chest about, oh, we've made all of this money on pricing. But as investors, we see it. Um, and I see it certainly from working with companies 
Uh, one example that is public uh, is the work that Status Page uh, did around their pricing, and they're a, a you know hosted uh, uh, status communication and reporting tool, uh, kind of like a website to say if your if your services are working or not working. And they came out of Y Combinator and launched at free and forty nine dollars a month. And I mean, I think pretty quickly they realized. You can't build a large and enduring business off of free and $49 a month. You have to get hundreds of thousands of paying customers and probably millions of free users. Um, and then also the solution was valuable. I mean, people were, the churn was low. People were genuinely um, finding value out of the product. So they raised prices significantly. They got rid of their free plan. They increased the top tier to $249. And then the next year they did it again. And then the next year they did it again. And so ultimately, their top price point increased by 30x, and that had, I think, their average revenue per paid user went up, you know, more than two and a half times, and that allowed them to grow profitably uh, without needing any outside funding. Positioned them for a really successful acquisition by Atlassian, and uh, and so it was a you know great story for for the business in terms of helping them grow. But then I, I see with my work, pricing driving anywhere from 15 to even up to 75% uh, improvement in revenue from new customers because pricing is optimized. Uh, so, so talking about like optimizing pricing, um, you know, l- making a, a, a general assumption here that uh, perhaps our, our audience, um, most of them may have, uh, you know, uh, made their pricing uh, points up by, you know, gut feel or looking at their competitors um, you know, uh, uh, w- which is fine, but not perhaps what we're saying is, 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 is optimal. So if they want to, if they've got a feeling that actually they could charge more and rather than charging more via, you know, just more gut feeling or just, you, you know, uh, let, let's do 5X or 2X or whatever, um, how, how do they go about that initial step of like taking a data-driven uh, approach to it? What, what do they need to do? Definitely. You know, I think... Uh First step is assigning a function or a person to be responsible and accountable, right? So in in many cases there is you know it, most SaaS businesses there's no pricing person. Like a LinkedIn has maybe twenty or twenty five pricing full time pricing people. Salesforce as well, but you know the average SaaS company does not have anyone who focuses on pricing. And it, it, in many cases it's not even a part time responsibility in any function. It's never been defined as product's role or marketing's role or uh, operations or finance, whatever. So step one is just assigning someone because then you have someone that is actually going to be doing the, the work around it. It's clear internally who is taking on that, that effort, and then you can hold them accountable for it. Um, but then you know, pricing is a cross-functional effort. So I think generally having uh, building a cross-functional team with leaders across different groups and having that team meet, you know, it could even be meeting quarterly to start to review pricing. Uh, that person you put in charge can, can run the meeting and, and be responsible for kind of sharing the insights. But then that cross-functional group makes decisions. And if they meet quarterly, you know, maybe if, if, uh, if, if uh, the need arises, it could be uh, more like a monthly meeting. But uh, it should be kind of this cadence that companies get into and a, and a rhythm where... They're looking at pricing data, and someone is actually responsible and accountable for that, and then they're reviewing that as a team. Uh, and, and in terms of one of the first steps, 
I would say it's, it's going out and doing one-on-one interviews with your buyers, whether those are existing customers or prospects in the market, and asking questions around pricing. And so it doesn't necessarily even need to be like an in-depth. You could, you could make pricing research as in-depth as you want it to be. And trust me, I've worked with some Fortune 500 companies where we spent a year on optimizing packaging and pricing. And, but it doesn't need to be like that. You can get great insights from having 15 conversations with buyers. What, what sort of questions, uh, just a couple of examples, should they be asking you know, during these uh, yeah, pricing interviews? My first rule of thumb, just as a, as a quick note, though, is there's, uh, there's no such thing as pricing interviews from the buyer's perspective. So the customer shouldn't know that it's a conversation about pricing. But you should know that because if you start positioning it to them as a pricing conversation, they're going to lowball you and you're, you're going to kind of shut down the conversation. The goal is to position it as more of like a needs and feedback conversation, understanding what they value from your solution, how they chose, chose you over other options, and what they want to see you investing in going forward. And key questions within that conversation that I like to ask are like, what's the ROI you're seeing from the solution? And, you know, you can get specific about like, what's the specific business benefit? Like, is it time savings? Is it revenue generation? And how much is it? Have you measured it? Um, how does that compare to the cost? So like, what's the business benefit versus how much they're paying? Uh, and also, what was important to the prospect when they were making a decision about what to buy? And how much of that was price-related versus other factors? Um, and then also, you know, how disappointed would they be if they couldn't use your solution anymore? That'll help you see if your product is sticky um, and really if it's something that it's so valuable that you know you're not extracting uh, enough price out of. And then uh, another method is is uh, the Ben Westendorf method, where you ask open-ended questions about pricing. So you ask questions like, at what price point do you think this kind of solution, or that like you could ask it for a new product, this new product offering, at what price point would it be? Would you think it's a bargain? At what price point would you think it's getting expensive? What price point is it something that's too expensive? that you wouldn't even consider anymore. And then there's a way that you can analyze that data um, to sort of get help inform what pricing should be. What, what are some of the signs that it's time to, you know, uh, increase pricing? Um, yeah, beyond like, oh, I think we've just done this based on, you know, what competitor X did. Uh, what are the signs? So definitely uh, customer retention is a, is a big sign. Uh, if you're, Delivering a, a ton of value to your customers that are staying with you, uh, that probably indicates that you're uh, too cheap. And also, uh, for, for me, in, in buying conversation or sales conversation, if prospects don't push back on your pricing at all, and you can see that like if sales isn't discounting ever, even at the end of the quarter, like there's kind of an expectation with a lot of software companies that there will be some discount. Uh, so if they're... If no one's ever discounting, that's probably a, a flag for you. I've even heard customers talk about how cheap a, a company is, or they'll say, you know, I'm buying X software and we prefer you, but we pay this other guy five times as much, Just, you know, even though it's not exactly peers um, or it, it's not competitive solutions, they're more peers. Uh, that gives a signal that you know you're providing a lot of value versus other things that people are buying and not capturing that. Um, and I think otherwise, like if if you just haven't touched pricing in a while, uh, like if you haven't raised prices in two years, 
then you should certainly revisit it. Um, or if you've added a bunch of new features and everyone's just gotten those for free, you haven't monetized any of this new stuff that you've created, then uh, that's, a, that's a strong signal as well. So you've decided, so we've taken this all on board and we've decided that we're going to increase pricing for you know, my, my SaaS company. Um, how do we uh, implement that and communicate it to uh, the customers? And that's a great question. I know it's, it's something that the communication and the implementation can have as much of an impact as like the pricing change itself. Um, and that's where I, I think what Netflix did was, was really interesting and, and SaaS companies can learn from. So Netflix recently changed prices. They, they increased them. Uh, but what they did is they, uh, they announced it at the same time they were driving a ton of value to their customers. So they were releasing a lot of new, new high-quality content, original content, shows like Stranger Things, The Crown, original movies. I mean, really big investments in content. And they announced the price increase when they had all these shows that people were really obsessed with and wanted to watch. And so, it's, I mean, that certainly takes the sting off. Uh, so the timing and being able to to link that pricing change with the value that you're delivering and and how the, and show those improvements, I think is is useful for people. I think also giving customers a choice, right? So pe- people hate to feel strong armed, and even if you know you're going to be raising the, the price on them, ha- giving them at least an option as to okay, well you could drop down, you'll get some fewer features and you'll pay about the same price as you have today, or you can keep your current plan and pay 40% more, or we have this new plan that is priced at X, but here's all the great things that you get. Like, what, what, uh, what do you prefer? Like, if you give customers a choice, it really takes the sting off. And that's what Netflix did. They, when they raised their prices, they actually had a fallback option that I think is pretty terrible. Uh, as far like I would never buy it personally. You didn't get any high definition access. Uh, you could have very few screens or devices watching Netflix. But you know, for people that were price sensitive and couldn't swallow that price increase, they had an option. Um, and even people that you know weren't happy with paying more, they they looked at it and said, okay, it's my decision to pay more because I feel like that's that's the right thing for me. Uh, and and otherwise, I think people sometimes don't realize they can use a pricing change as a marketing tactic. So you can create urgency for your buyers, like, you know, lock in this deal now to avoid a price increase. And you could actually pull forward a lot of deals by creating that sense of urgency for people uh, and and converting them because otherwise the price would go up. So there's, and you, you don't actually need to discount to get that. You're just creating the sense of urgency artificially through the price increase. Uh, those would be the, some of the keys to success, in my opinion. Awesome. And um, uh, go, going back uh, or to your book, um, you know, which we mentioned sort of earlier, uh, you, uh, one of the, the, the many things that you, you've re- written in there um, is about using behavioral psychology to, uh, to, to nudge buyers or you know, prompt them uh, along. Can you, um, you know, expand on that a little bit more? One of the biggest insights coming out of you know economics and psychology in the last you know, decade or two, I think, has been that people aren't rational, right? Like it's something that everyone kind of instinctively knew, but they have proved that decision making is not based on rationality. That people people's decisions can be influenced by tons of different factors, 
Um, and that applies not just to consumers, it applies to businesses as well. And the way that you present choices and the way you talk about pricing can have you know, a major influence on what people buy and how much of it they buy. I think some specific behavioral examples were, one example is I think people uh, said, imagine you were on a beach and you uh, had an option to, to buy a beer and that you could buy that beer from like a rundown shop down the street or you could you know, buy that beer at a fancy five-star hotel but you couldn't drink it there. You're bringing it on the beach either way. And they were equally as far from where you were on the beach. So essentially the scenario where you're buying a beer, it's the same product and you're going to have the same experience enjoying it. People were willing to pay way higher prices if they thought that beer was coming from the hotel than if they thought the the beer was coming from, you know, a local local shop that's sort of run down and, and not a great experience. And that's, that's all about perception in their mind. And that thought that, they're expecting to pay more because, you know, of what they've been conditioned to believe. Um, and so the way you can talk about your solution, if you position it as a premium solution in the market, talk about all the, the benefits um, and have this, you know, premium positioning around your brand, people have a totally different expectation of the price that they're going to pay associated with that brand than if the brand is sort of cheap, you know, not really uh, that prestigious or, or if the references are, are not so great, for instance, like, the way you talk about your company and, and the solution matters a lot. I think some other things that are more tactical are that you can guide people to, you know, highlight the most popular plan or highlight, you know, certain plans that you want people to purchase. And that helps guide people to make that decision versus buying, you know, maybe a more basic plan that, that you have. Um, or another thing that works pretty well is anchoring, where you can introduce a really high price point that you know very few people are going to buy, and it's way more expensive than everything else. But what it does is it makes everything else look cheap by comparison. So the buyer feels like they're getting a really good deal all of a sudden because they're anchored and they see this, this really high price point. And I think an, another thing that, that I see is uh, simplicity. D- data from an eco- economic standpoint shows that people prefer having multiple choices, but you can't give people too many choices. If, like there's a famous experiment about if you show people an, an option, you know, at a grocery store with 24 different varieties of jam versus if you show them four varieties of jam, they get like decision-making paralysis around the 24 kinds of jam. They're just like, there's so many choices. This is too much effort. Like I'm, I'm just going to come back later or I'll, I'm going to do without jam. With four choices, that's totally simple. They can find what they want, but they're not overwhelmed by it. So making sure that you have some options, but you know, more like three or four choices instead of overwhelming the buyer will increase that that chance that someone's going to want to buy. Awesome, yeah, it makes sense and um, some uh, some good uh, behavioral psychology tips there. Now, um, obviously, the, the timing this week of the uh, the, the, the podcast um, and also us uh, um, uh, announcing that uh, OpenView will be one of the. Uh, the partners at uh, at Sastock 18 this year in October in Dublin is uh, uh, being coincidental, uh, uh, but but it's great to have um, uh, OpenView uh, you know join us. Obviously, Liz Kane spoke last year, but uh, you know in a more formal capacity. So like really uh, stoked about that. Um, and uh, uh, you'll be coming over as um, you know one of the uh, one of the speakers, and I'm assuming uh, uh, talking on the uh, the topic of pricing potentially. <laughs> I mean, it's a high demand uh, 
topic. It's um, yep. Yeah, so I'll look forward to uh, to talking there, and we're really excited about partnering with you guys. Uh, Liz had a great experience at Stock last year, and um, we're really excited about about the event and the community that you're building. Um, and and glad that we can be a part of it. And um, I think for me, I, it's funny. I I've almost tried to get out of pricing <laughs> over the years. I've, I've uh, been involved in pricing too much for one lifetime, uh, but I keep getting pulled back in. It, it's funny. It's the content that performs best on OpenView's website. We have 100,000 um, email subscribers, and the things that they click on and that people want to know about are related to pricing. Um, and at and at uh, Saster uh, last week, that was um, you know huge in demand topic for for folks. So uh, you know I, even if I wanted to talk about something else, I think that <laughs> just given what what people are interested in struggling with, uh, I, I get pulled into pricing. Well, um, well, well, for those that are listening, and that will be uh, joining us in uh, October. Um, you know, obviously come and uh, uh, see and uh, and listen to. To Kyle on the topic of pricing, but if you if you meet him in person in the uh, in the corridors and hallways, which I'm sure you will, uh, also mention the topics of, uh, of growth and uh, something else. But we started about um, you, you know just getting to know who you are. Let's kind of end you know just on, uh, on yourself, sort of like personally, professionally as well. Um, like how how do you uh, take care of yourself? You, you know, like physically, mentally. Like we always want to sort of know uh, generally from our, our guests, you know, how they stay sane and, you know, healthy whilst, uh, whilst working. Hmm. You know, I'm a big, uh, big fan of hiking. So whenever I have an opportunity, I like to totally unplug and get away from technology. Uh, and uh, like I went to New Zealand for my honeymoon last year got married in Acadia National Park in Maine. So that's, that's really important for me. Uh, and, uh, and from a work perspective, I, I think that a key thing for me about staying sane is trying to get really smart about how I work as opposed to working, you know, too hard and, and maybe not getting as much done. So I actually follow more of an agile approach to setting like my backlog for what I'm going to do for the week and committing, making commitments to what I'm going to get done. And if, I, if you know, I get additional requests to come in, I'll reprioritize. But if that really keeps me focused on achieving what I, what I want and then not feeling like there's a whole lot extra that I, you know, that I didn't get done and allows me to sort of leave work at a reasonable time, feeling good and, and feeling accomplished. Awesome, awesome. Now, uh, Kyle, uh, last thing, where can people find you online? So uh, they can f- uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at uh, Poyer, P-O-Y-A-R-K, uh, or check out uh, OpenView's content. I'm, I publish pretty regularly at OpenView Lab. Awesome. Well, uh, really been uh, uh, excited to have you on the show today and uh, go a little bit sort of deeper onto uh, pricing and looking forward to meeting in person uh, in October at, uh, at SASDOC 18. Thanks for being on the show. Likewise. Thanks for having me on. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show with Carl Poyer, Senior Director of Market Strategy at OpenView, and I've picked up valuable insights on getting your pricing right. Thanks for listening and for your continued support. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and see you next time.